We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Our Bibles today to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6, as we continue learning from the life of David, we learn from his victories and we also learn from his tragedies. Because that's what we see today in Second Samuel chapter 6 verse 1. It says, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bailey, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, by whose name is called, by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And so David, he's got pretty much, we're going to see the whole country, man. The whole country is behind him. Here it mentions 30,000 men. We see he consulted with leaders. I would encourage you, I think it's helpful to note that as we go through Samuel here that it's not necessarily chronologically and it also I think is helpful to note that the parallel passage for this is found in 1st Chronicles 13 1 through 14 and so you kind of put it together and you harmonize it and you find that David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and every leader and and basically what he wanted to do he says hey I have an idea how about we get the Ark of the Covenant um, from this place right here, uh, Bailey, also known as Kerjath Jerim. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant over to Jerusalem. Because that would be the capital of the country. And it was a wise move. It, it made sense in every direction. And so all the people were like so happy about this. David was happy about this. And what we find in summary is that the whole nations behind their king, David consulted with the captains and hundreds of leaders, but here's the thing, he never consulted with God. And, and you know, what we're going to find today is that David's doing the right thing, and he's probably doing it for the right reason, but he's not doing it the right way. And what he wants to do is he wants to go and he wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. There was this unity nationally. And we see it was done, I think, without question, with good intentions. I mean, you know, the Ark, you guys probably know about the Ark, right? Because you saw the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? No, I'm just joking. That's not why. That's not how you're going to learn about the Ark, okay? But anyways, we know the Ark of the Old Testament. You know what it symbolized? The presence of God. And how many people are not living in the presence of God? And their walk is dry, and, and they're not experiencing that. David experienced that individually. Now he wanted them to experience this nationally, the, the presence of God. That was the Ark of the Covenant. It was the throne of God. Now wanting it to come to the capital of their country because he wanted it to be a nation after God. For 75 years, the Ark had been absent from the divine sanctuary there in Shiloh. The last time we read about the Ark is in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. So it had been a long time since they experienced the presence of God. How about you? When was the last time you really experienced the presence of God? Communion with God. David wanted that. 
for the people of God. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. If you have not experienced the presence of God in your life, and you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you haven't. But if you have, you know how precious it is, how important it is, that we're not just engaged in, in religion, but it's a relationship. You know, I got to tell you guys something. It was kind of cool. The other day I got a... a, a uh, so a homework turned in, and it was a blessing. It was a total blessing because the word relationship was spelled wrong. And you're like, why was that a blessing? Well, because in the word relationship, they added an extra A, and it said real, relationship. And I thought, you know what? That is so cool. I'm going to contact Webster and see if we could change the, the way you spell that. A relationship. Man, is it real or not? David wanted it to be real for the whole country. And so he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant there to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant is more or less the portable sacred chest which held the holiest relics of Israel's history and served as the place for the direct manifestation of the presence of God. One thing we know is this, God's omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times. And so we know that. But when there's a special manifest presence of God, then the people of God are then, they kind of go to the next level. Matthew chapter 18, it says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There's a special presence. And that's what the Ark of the Covenant symbolized. When you study the Ark of the Covenant, you find that God gave Moses detailed instructions for building the Ark, also known as the Ark of God or the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of Your Might, that's a real interesting name, over in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. The Ark had three main functions. Number one, it served as a container for the two stone tablets of the law that Moses brought down from Sinai, according to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 2. There had the jar of manna that God provided during the wilderness wanderings, Exodus 16, 33, and 34. And within the ark, it also contained the rod that budded to confirm Aaron's exclusive call to Israel's priesthood in Numbers chapter 17, verse 10. And so it held these relics of Israel's history. Number two, the ark's cover was the place where sacrificial blood was spilt once a year on the Day of Atonement, according to Leviticus 16, verse 34. And so remember Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come in only one time a year, but when he did come in, he would come with the blood of the sacrifice, and he would come with the blood, he would enter into the holiest of holies, which was symbolic of God's special presence. And he would take the blood and he would put it right there between the two cherubim on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. We see the Ark of the Covenant was viewed as the focus of God's presence with his people. And there, where the blood was spilled, God told Moses, I will meet you there. These functions made the Ark of the Covenant the most holy object in Israel's worship. When it was carried, however, it was to be covered so that no one could see. And so it was a holy, holy relic, you know, symbolizing the presence of God. And so, you know, it's very understandable that David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the capital. Notice again what we read here in verse 2, And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bailey, Judah, to bring up from there the Ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts who dwells between 
the cherubim. Now I like that right there in verse 2 because sometimes you can have a relic, so to speak, without, you know, understanding what it represents. Like we have a dove here and we have a dove on the t-shirts and dove on the bulletin and you can see the doves all over the place and, and before you know it, you forget what the dove's all about. I remember talking to some new believers and they say, yeah, the bird. They talk about the bird and you got to explain to them, no, the dove is symbolic of that dove that fell on Jesus, that came on Jesus and empowered him. The Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. You know, but we can really get caught up in symbols. There's the cross and we wear it on our on our, you know, necklace or we put it on our on our ears, but we don't die to ourselves. What a hypocritical thing to do. I like the way he says, here's the Ark of the Covenant, and by the way, it's about it's about the Lord, man. The name of the Lord. And and he's connecting it there at this point. It was very personal for the people of Israel. This is not some generic God. It's not an idol idol. This symbolized the Almighty God, the true and living God. He says they're the Lord. And we know that that's in the Hebrew. It's God's uh, tetragrammatron. It's God's covenant name. We don't even know for sure how to pronounce it because the Jews considered his name so holy that they would never articulate it and so he, he's saying this is Yahweh or Yehovah or however you want to say it. It's not Jehovah. There's no J sound in Hebrew. It's Yahweh. Or maybe some of you guys are better at, at Hebrew. But you know it's his name. It's his personal name. It's him. He says right here is the Lord God. And he says the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? Well, in the Hebrew it speaks of the, the God of war. <laughs> The God of angelic armies. Uh, any of you here have the new Chris Tomlin CD, just out of curiosity? The ones that are really saved? Raise your hands real quick. How could you not have the Chris Tomlin CD yet? All right, I'm just messing with you. It's called Burning Lights. So one of the songs is called uh, The God of, of Angelic Hosts. It says, actually, it's called Whom Shall I Fear? And that's what ends up happening when you know you have this God on your side. The God of the armies, the Lord of hosts, then the question is, who should you fear? And the answer is no. David says, that's what I want it for us. David welcomed the personal, powerful God to the people of God in a radical, tangible, and practical way. And I think he was dreaming. You know, today the tabernacle, tomorrow the temple. I know that was already in David's heart. And he says right there again, notice again in verse 2, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Now you might wonder, why is God depicted as the God who dwells between the cherubim? And you look at the lid on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and if you guys, I should have shown you a picture, I apologize for that. But um, I have one on my phone afterwards if you want to take a look at it. It's beautiful. And the angels, they, would, they were like, like this. They had their wings. And so one's on this side, one's on this side. And they're like in there. And then there's really in the middle is where, where God, he says, God dwells between the cherubim. And, and you're like, well, what's that all about? Well, the thing to remember when you study the Old Testament tabernacle, it's just so amazing. 
that these furnishings are symbolic of heaven. It's symbolic of heaven. And they're shadows of the substance. They're pictures of the pattern in heaven. And so we read that in Exodus 25.9. And God said, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make. There is a pattern. The pattern was a heavenly pattern. Moses was kind of copying that. We read in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. And so, in one sense, you guys know what a shadow is, right? You see a little shadow. We've got the shadow of what's in heaven. And when the cherubim are there, and it says that God dwells between the cherubim, it's in reference to God in heaven on the throne with all the angels around him singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, and they are worshiping him. That's God in heaven on his throne with all the angelic creatures worshiping him. And that's why he says the God who dwells between the cherubim. See, the lid of the covenant, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant depicted the angels of God around the throne worshiping God. And God says right there, where that blood is, there I will meet with you. I will speak with you in Exodus 25, verse 22. You who dwell between the cherubim, Psalm chapter 80, verse 1. Psalm 99, verse 1, the Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. I like it, even when Hezekiah prayed. And you guys can pray this, because you're like, man, I want to make sure I get the right God. And Hezekiah said in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. And so it's understandable. You know, David, the godly king, he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, to the capital city of Jerusalem. He knows how personal this God is. He knows how powerful this God is the one who dwells between the cherubim. We understand why he wanted to move the ark. Doing this good with good intentions. And we see the unity nationally, spiritually, sincerity. Everything seems to be falling together, right? And so we read here in verse 3, it says, And so they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah, and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of firwood and harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. If you were to look at a map, it's, you know, you have the nation of Israel and then you have, uh, we would call it the West Coast and there's a strip of land that was the Philistines. Just a little in, you would have this place, Kirjath Jerim, and they just had to travel maybe about 10 miles. Uh, and so, you know, to move this ark, they invested in a brand new cart. Brand new. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Surely God will be blessed and impressed with that, right? And, and then David and all the house of Israel, they were playing all kinds of instruments, man. I mean, you know how it is sometimes, you guys, when you get the full band and you get all the instruments and you're like, wow, you know, this is special. 
Surely God will be blessed and impressed with that, right? But then look what we read in verse 6. And when they came to Nachan's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. You know, things seem to be going so smooth, but then they hit a bump in the road. The oxen stumbled. The ark, I mean, the beautiful ark made of pure gold is about to fall. And Uzzah, what was probably, you know, with good intentions, he just, you know, kind of reaches out to catch it before it hits the ground. And the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was aroused and God struck him there and, and, and Uzzah died. And so you read that story and you're like, man, Lord, what happened? I mean, there was such sincerity. There was this overall unity. Everyone was happy. It was done so enthusiastically, passionately. Why did Uzzah die? Well, the answer is, is in spite of all those other things that a lot of times we consider to be important, and they're not, you know, they're always that important, it was not done biblically. And, and what happened was this holy, holy, holy God. He sent us a message of really what, what sin is to him. See, sin cannot touch God. Sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. And, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that, if, you know, all the tens of thousands and who knows, hundreds of thousands of people that were chosen to be by the Ark of the Covenant, one's in front, one's on the side, that there's no doubt in my mind that Uzzah was the best of men. The best of men. And yet we know that even the best of men, compared to God, no, you know, is just a, we're, we're wretched we're wicked and God says listen you can't do this Susa. you look at this right here and I think it's important for us to understand maybe how this all happened because you know we don't want anybody to die because <laughs> sometimes people in the church they still die um, their kids die. The calling dies. The ministry dies. And, and you got to know, well, why? Why do things die? And, and the answer is, you know, because a lot of times I think, you know, we just, we don't do it God's way. And it's real easy to do it like David did. Because if you go back to, for, you don't have to turn there, but, you know, read First Samuel chapter 6. You remember what had happened prior to this is that the Ark of the Covenant was actually captured by the Philistines and then God was, you know, killing them and striking them with tumors, maybe hemorrhoids. It was I don't know, we don't know for sure exactly what it was. But it was kind of funny. And anyway, so what they did was they uh they sent the ark back to Israel. They're like, "Man, we got to get rid of this holy relic." And they sent it back on a cart and it and it made it to to Israel. 
And so that's the way the Philistines did it. In other words, that's the way the world did it. That's the way the world did it. And so what does David do? Well, David and the nation of Israel, they do it the way the world does it. And God didn't honor that. Well, and then you ask, well, then why were the Philistines successful and Israel wasn't? Well, the Philistines did it in complete ignorance. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't know what the scriptures say in Numbers chapter 4 and Numbers chapter 7. But David did it maybe in a little ignorance too, but I need to stress the word ignore. He ignored the Bible. He ignored God. He didn't pray about it. He didn't search the scriptures about it. And yeah, ignorance because of the fact that he ignored God. And so what ends up happening? We see that Uzzah died. You know, you guys, as you're, I praise God that you're here on a Thursday night. And I pray that you're here because you want to get to know the Lord. And, and really the way you're going to get to know the Lord is by knowing this book right here. Because this is a revelation of God. It's a revelation of the ways of God. And believe it or not, it's just, it's just knowing the Bible. Reading it and heeding it. Learning it and living it. And so I pray that's why you're here. But I want you guys to know this too. That the more you know, the more responsible you are. Did you guys know that? To whom much is given, much more is required. And, and I pray, that's why we have to have a heart that's just so simple that says, Lord, I want to learn your word so that I'll know how to live my life for you. You know, what happened was the Philistines did it one way. David says, hey, we'll do it like the world. And David should have known better. The people should have known. It's interesting that we read in the book of Numbers, chapter 7. If you guys have a chance, you could read it, verse 9 about how the sons of Levi, the sons of Levi were given carts. Interesting, they were given carts. And Levi had three sons, and to Gershon, two carts were given. He had another son, Merari. It sounds like Ferrari, but it's not. It's Merari. He was given four carts. And then we read in Numbers chapter 7, verse 9, but to the sons of Kohath, he gave none. They didn't get a cart. They didn't get a, like a dolly. They didn't get a wheelbarrow. They didn't get that. It says, because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. I mean, to me, it's interesting that God would explicitly say, you guys don't get a cart. And here David is moving it on a cart. We will see that the ark was supposed to be transported by the male descendants of Kohath, not on a cart, but on their shoulders. And so not only was this non-biblical and unbiblical, it was actually clearly, explicitly anti-biblical. It was not to be carried on a cart, and it was not to be handled by just anyone. We read in Numbers chapter 4, verse 4, it says, This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of badger skins and spread over that a cloth entirely of blue and they shall insert its poles. And so, you know, when they moved the tabernacle, the sons of Aaron, okay, now Aaron was the high priest. His sons were to take down the divider. Do you guys remember the divider that separated the holy place from the most holy place? They were just to take it down and then cover it 
covered the ark. And then on top of that, they were to put a, a big old blanket of badger skin. And then on top of that, a big blue blanket. And so, I mean, this is how holy it is. See? And so we read in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary, and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath, here it is, it's so simple, the sons of Kohath, the descendants of Kohath, shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy things, lest they die. Now, how many of you here have a degree in theology? Probably, probably not a lot of us here. But you can understand that, right? They're not to touch this, these holy things, lest they die. Right? It's so clear. But what happened? They ignored the word of God. The whole country was behind this thing. The unity is good. And I think David had the right reason. Sincerity is good. And enthusiastically. You know, sometimes you hear people and they're doing things. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Oh, you're so excited. That's cool. And it must be right. Just because you have a lot of enthusiasm about it doesn't make it right. Or just because there's unity in it doesn't make it right. Just because, you know, there's sincerity. Oh, this is, I want to do it, you know, for the right reason. That doesn't make it right. Is it biblical what you're doing? See, and that's the thing that they didn't check. Unfortunately, Uzzah paid with his life. Everyone's so happy. But what happened? Because it was not biblical, there's one that wasn't happy. And you guys know who that is, right? It was the Lord. See, David didn't search the scriptures about it. And, you know, an interesting thing uh, for us leaders, and we're always making decisions, dads, ministry leaders, pastors, overseers. You're always making decisions. Let me tell you something, man. Don't take a position of leadership if you are not going to seek the face of God. If you are not going to seek the face of God in this church, then don't take a position of leadership. You have, to, you have to be hearing God's voice. David, you know, it's interesting. He became king, and over in the book of Deuteronomy 17, in verse 18, it says, Also it shall be when he sits, speaking of the king, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may be not lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. And so think about that. Imagine if God said, hey, I'll make you a leader in one condition. Will you write the Bible? I mean, some of us have a hard enough time reading the Bible. He says, I want you to read it every day, but before you read it every day, I want you to write the whole thing out. Why? Because a leader has so much responsibility. It's kind of like when you're driving, and, and you guys know how it is as a driver, and you've got kids, or you've got your family with you. You don't mess around, do you? 
Because you have precious cargo. That's what a leader is driving. How are you driving? Where are you taking your family? Where are you taking this ministry? You know, we have the van now, and, and you, you, know, you have to have a special license to drive that van, because those vans, they roll. As a leader of all people, and if you're not in the Word every day, that was David's problem. He wasn't writing the Word like King should have been. He wasn't reading the Word so that he could you know, learn it and live it. Eventually, I promise you this, and I'm telling you this right now, I promise you, if you're a leader and you are not in communion with God, you will be led astray. God is gracious. But look what happened. And these things were written for our own admonition, the Bible says. And so, you know, David didn't, you know, seek the Lord in, in the word. He didn't pray about it. Warren Risby said there's no record that David sought the mind of the Lord in this matter. Because relocating the ark to Jerusalem seemed a wise idea and everybody was enthusiastic about it. But the king didn't follow his usual pattern of what? Of asking the Lord for his directions. Remember David, that was his trademark. He would pray. He would inquire of the Lord. And so my encouragement to you is to, you know, what does the Bible say about it? And have you really been praying about it? I get so blessed, especially with, uh, with new believers. But it shouldn't just be new believers. But, you know, new believers are asking me, hey, what, what about this? Or what about this situation? And I'm constantly getting questions. I tell you what, I love that. Because they, even they're smart enough to know that if you don't follow God's word, then you're not going to be blessed. And so here's Uzzah, and really he's just following his leader. And God struck him for his error. Look again at verse 7. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. Now we're hoping we don't commit any errors on Saturday. You guys know what an error is, right? It's a mistake. It's kind of a mistake. He, he made a mistake. That's what people would say. He made a mistake. But it's an interesting word in the Hebrew language when you look at this. If you look it up in the Hebrew lexicon, you're going to find a brief, brief definition. It says error or fault. But in some lexicons, it says, it says meaning uncertain. Meaning uncertain. And so what you do in cases like that is you study the etymology of the word. Where does this word come from? It comes from a word that means to be negligent. And sometimes the errors, the mistakes, and the sins we commit are really because we have been negligent. And it's important for us to make sure that we take this whole relationship with God very seriously. The truth is, people die, families die, ministries die due to negligence. You know, Uzzah thought he was cleaner than the dirt. Oh, we don't want the ark to hit the dirt. But he didn't realize that the dirt was cleaner than him. Yeah, we think, oh, I'm fine. No, we're sinners. We're not cleaner than that dirt. We have to be really careful. It was an irreverent act, as one translation puts it, a profane act. 
a pious act and how easy it is to forget the absolute holy, holy, holiness of God. The overriding attribute of God, we know, is His holiness. That's why we read in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, about how holy God is. And Leviticus 11.45, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. First Peter 1.15, For as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You know, especially when you're serving the Lord, especially when you're making decisions, and then those decisions make you. You know, I, I always I, I picture that visual where God told Moses, take off your sandals because the place where you stand is holy ground. And I think so many times we approach our, our decisions in our family or ministry or things so flippantly. And there needs to be that, that understanding of God's overriding attribute is holiness. And we don't mess around with things. You know, the lesson over in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 31 about communion is, is kind of similar to this. Uh, and just to kind of give you that, that whole thing, because some people say, well, God doesn't do this anymore. Oh, yes, He does. I've seen people die. God still kills people. You know, thank God for His grace, because He gave us, if He gave us what we deserve, you know, we would all be dead right now, but but those that, that abuse it, those that take it lightly, and God at any time can choose to exercise His justice at any time. And He would be righteous in doing so. So there has to be, we're going to see later, a fear of God. But in you know, 1 Corinthians 11, you guys remember the, the story there. What was happening was they were taking communion. It was no big deal. You know, it wasn't, they weren't really searching their hearts. They really, want, want, really weren't really wanting to get right with God. It was a, a, a potluck. And so everybody was running in front of everybody to get the good food. You know how that happens sometimes. There was just a, an absolute irreverence. And, and what Paul basically says is, man, you know what? The reason why some of you are sick and the reason why there are some that are asleep, they, they, they were dead, is because they've been taking communion with a heart that's not right. He says, if you judge yourself, then, then you wouldn't be judged. And so all I'm saying is that as we go through this right here, my prayer is that we would learn from it. Warren Risby said the lesson here is obvious. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. We need to do the right thing for the right reason and in the right way. And the answer is in a biblical way. And so what did David do when this happened? We'll read in verse 8, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. How many of you guys know people that when things happen, they get angry with God? Have you guys ever heard of that? Do you guys ever do that? That's weird to me. 
but but I think it's cool when some people are just honest. You know what? I was just I was just so angry with God. Well, I pray that you would know and even learn from this that that God doesn't do things. God doesn't allow things that in in the big picture will not teach a lesson, will not bring purpose. And and really when David got angry, he he joined the likes of some, you know, ungodly people like for example Jonah. You guys remember Jonah got angry, right? When Jonah was over there, he went to the the Assyrians and Ninevite, the Ninevites and he says, "The Lord's going to judge you guys." And he was so excited about that. He's all, "God's going to judge you." And then he went on the on the hill and he's waiting for God's fire and brimstone to come down, and it never came. And so he was angry. He was angry with God. And so what happened? God began to minister to him and then God he he allowed this plant to grow. It gave him some shade. But then he let the plant die. And guess what happened? The Bible says that Jonah was angry again. Jonah was angry. God, how could you kill that plant? And the Lord says, man, you're weird. <laughs> and he asked Jonah a question. He says, is it right for you to be angry? And whatever it is, maybe you're angry at God. If you look deeper, you'll find that it's not right that you're angry. Some people say, how can bad things happen to good people? There are no good people. There are none. The better question is this. How can good things happen to bad people? See, David, first of all, was angry. But we're going to see he grows. He goes through this. Uh, secondly, we see in verse 9 that David was afraid. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And so when I read that right there, I think too bad David wasn't afraid of the Lord before that day. <laughs> you know, all this could have been avoided had the fear of the Lord been present in his heart. The fear of the Lord is not a bad thing. How many of you here, when you were growing up, you were kept in line because your parents threatened to give you a trancaso? Is that a curiosity, man? It works, you know? And uh, that's the way it is with the Lord. He loves us, but He will discipline us because He loves us, right? And what we find, you guys, is that David here, is, he's going to learn. And, and, and in the end, don't worry, you guys. God is the God of the second chance. But I tell you what, I can tell you story after story after story. Uh, this one young man, beautiful heart. And I'm serious. I know. I, I, I can kind of know people. I can look at people and I can see, you know what? This guy right here, this young man right here is, is respectful. He's disciplined. He's got potential. He's got love. And then what ends up happening? Well, all his life, his father was just drinking. His mom tried. But she could only do so much because the father was such a, a negative influence. He didn't even know how to read. He was uneducated because he was neglected. I think in many ways. Good guy, great guy. He came here a few times. But then what ended up happening? This good young man started hanging out with the wrong crowd. The next thing you know, one night, he's just, it's in a, they're in a fight. 
And he, and he doesn't really try to do this. I don't think. I, I saw the video. He didn't really try to do it, but he just grabs a knife. But I know it's not right, but, you know, it just kind of it flies, and it just happens to hit somebody in the wrong place, and he kills him. This good young man. Now, I know we could blame it on him. I know he had a choice to make. But what about his leader? See, then I can just tell you story after story of marriage here. They get a divorce. And it shouldn't have been that way. What was missing? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That keeps me in line. I know I can't do a lot of things. Because God, he'll kill me. <laughs> I know that. Isn't that good to know, you guys? Isn't that good to know? Or my wife. One of the two, man, I know. <laughs> A lot of things. The fear of the Lord. David, right here, he was angry, but then he moves, I'm afraid of the Lord, which is actually a good place to be as long as it's balanced. And then we read in verse 10, David would not move the ark of the Lord. And I like that too, because for, first he's real quick to move it. He's real quick to move it. Now he's not real quick to move it. And it, to me, when I look at that, I, I think you, would, I, you guys would agree with this as Christians don't make any moves unless God approves. Right? And so here's David, and he's kind of learning now, huh? And so what ends up happening, we read in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And so the ark of the Lord ends up staying here. He's a Levite. And uh, I don't know, I just, to me, I'm like, that's, isn't that a beautiful picture? The presence of the Lord in your house. A lot of people think, well, I want to go to the presence of the Lord in, in, you know, in the house of the Lord. I'm going to go to, to church. And, you know, there it is, man, the presence of the Lord. And here Obed-Edom is experiencing the presence of the Lord. And God ends up blessing him. If you'd allow me just a little bit of justifiable freedom, I think it's so cool. God bless this home, this family, when his presence filled their home. My encouragement to you is put on godly DVDs, put on godly music, have Bible studies. Uh, welcome God. Your house should be like a church. Your house. Oh, and, and would you show that movie in your church that you're watching, those things that you're watching on television? Is that what you would do when you're in church? Is that the way you would act in front of, you know, the congregation? Well, until we learn that our home is a church where God's presence should be, we're probably not going to experience the blessings that God wants us to have. See, it's a motivation for us that God's presence would fill our homes. We can either build it up or tear it down. Proverbs 11.29 says, He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. Is that what you want? You go home and you're a troublemaker in your home? How about Proverbs 14.11? The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. You don't have to have a big house. You can have a tent. God will make it flourish when he is there. Anyways, David hears about this blessing and he gets jealous. And I like that. So notice what happens in verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, 
The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And so David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And then David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Is it okay to want to be blessed? Is that okay? I'm not talking about he being healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. I'm not talking about that, being rich. No. I'm just talking about being blessed by God. And it's okay to want that. I remember reading in the book of Genesis when Jacob was wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Remember that? Wrestling. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I love that. It's okay to want the blessing. And so David hears, hmm, Obed-Edom's getting blessed. I want some of that. We want some of that. He goes and he, just, and, he, and he does it. But this time, though, he does it the right way. And some of you here, maybe you're looking back on your life. I don't know how many hurdles you've knocked down. I don't know how many years have gone by when you've tried to do it maybe the way the world has told you to do it. You've tried to do it the way that you want to do it. And there's that sincerity and enthusiasm and, you know, whatever it is. But, but it's not God's way. But now you're here. I want you to know that, that God, God is the God of the second chance. I know some marriages, they didn't make it the first time, but they learned. And now they're flourishing. It's important for us to learn from our mistakes. David here, he learns. And when you read 1 Chronicles chapter 15, what we find is that David had actually done his homework. The king had been counseled and convicted by the word of God. Again, if you want to get the parallel passages, you study 1 Chronicles 15, 25, all the way to chapter 16, verse 3. And David said, and now David starts teaching them. He says in 1 Chronicles 15, 2, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And then he goes on and he tells them what the Bible says on how they're supposed to carry it on their shoulders and their poles and what an awesome thing it is when people learn the word of God in order to apply the word of God. Psalm 119.11, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart so I can impress people with my memorization of scriptures. No, it says, Your word I've hidden in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. Right? And it's so cool when that happens. I love what we see here is they're doing it God's way and they're obeying, they're even sacrificing, they're even dancing, okay? I know you guys don't want to talk about this, okay? But we got to talk about this, man, dancing. They were dancing. You know, I, one of my favorite teachers, I read a commentary by him, one of the guys I quote a lot, he said, well, the church fathers, you know, over the years, they, they, they said that, you know, dancing was not good. It was condemned by the church fathers. And, and I, okay, where, where in the Bible does it say dancing's not good? Nowhere. As a matter of fact, did you guys know that the Bible says that dancing is good? Did you guys know that? I mean, can you dance? 
Well, it depends, I guess, but no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Psalm chapter 30, verse 11 says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Isn't that cool? How about Psalm 150? We like to quote Psalm 150 on how we could use the drums in church, but why don't you quote Psalm 150 on how you can dance in church? Because it says in Psalm 150, Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. I tell you what, man, to those people who say we can't dance in the church, you got to go to, you got to go to Cambodia. And you got to go to Africa. And you got to see some of these people worshiping God in purity and passionately holy. And they're dancing. Now, I got to admit, the chairs get in the way. And so maybe one day we'll have no chairs. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I can't dance, okay? I can't jump and I can't dance, man, because I'm kind of like brown on the outside and white on the inside type of thing, you know? I got no rhythm, man. But some of you here, you do, huh? You do. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I just want you guys to have that understanding. Now, if only one person got up here and danced, that wouldn't be biblical because you're going to be drawing attention to yourself. But if we all started dancing... That would be really cool. I just want you guys to know that dancing is okay in worshiping the Lord, right? But what, what happens when you're, when you think about that, okay, think about that. You're singing, you're dancing. I mean, when I, when I go to Cambodia and I see them worshiping God like that, just worshiping God like that, I'll be honest with you, it's hard. Because I'm like so manny, you know? I'm just so, ah, and I try. <laughs> Oh, but when you're there long enough, and I've seen some of these people that are introverts just become absolutely surrendered to God. You guys, we don't, if you can't dance, and I'll tell you what, and don't tell me, don't make excuses. The bottom line is, there's not enough freedom yet. There's not enough joy yet. I don't know. I, I have a feeling in heaven we're going we're gonna to dance. And so what ends up happening? Well, we close in verse 16. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, uh, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And what did she do? She despised him in her heart. And so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And so all the people departed, everyone to his house. David, it's so cool. The Bible says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. David loved the Lord and he's bringing blessings to the people of the Lord. Even though his wife, of all people, his wife, she saw him worshiping like that and she despised him in her heart. We're going to see what ends up happening. And so we read in verse 20, then David returned to bless his household 
And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And so David said to Michal, If it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel, therefore I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this. And I love that. That's David, our worship leader. I will be more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, my call, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You know, when David danced enthusiastically before the Lord, when you read First Chronicles, you find that he wasn't inappropriately dressed. His wife, unfortunately, had, had been influenced by the devil who hates worship. He hates worship. That's why when you read in the Old Testament, it was the worshipers that would lead the armies into battle because that was like paving the way for victory, right? And, uh, and so here's the wife... And, you know, when you worship, guys, and I, and I no offense, but you guys, you guys don't dance. And, and we don't really even worship the way we should. I mean, it just, you guys, why, why are we so, what's up, man? I can't even hear you sing. You know, I love amazing grace. Come on, man. Amazing grace. I mean, you know, I don't know, just, we won't make fun of you. Well, maybe a couple of you, but... <laughs> But when David just worshiped the Lord with all his mind. I'm not saying you got to get crazy because some people, like we talked about earlier, they, there's a show for them. It's not a show. It, it's just but let it be real. But when you do and you're worshiping God, and this is not just singing, it's life. When you're worshiping God with your life, Man, the devil's going to come against you. And, you know, it's weird because here the whole country is like, wow, what a blessing. You know, David gave us bread and meat and, you know, sweets and how exciting this was. And then he goes home. He goes home. And it's, of all people, it's his wife. Right? And, and what we read about that happens. It, Warren Risby says it's interesting that the text says she saw her. King David and not her husband, and that she called the daughter of Saul, not David's wife. When she spoke to him, Michael used the third person, how glorious was the king, and not the more personal second person, and her speech was very sarcastic. He said, how sad that David's day of happy celebration ended with this kind of insensitive and heartless reception from his own wife. But, Wearsby said, often God's servants go quickly from glory, the glory of the mountain to the shadows of the valley when they go home. And so David says, okay, that's the way you want it. Tell you what, you and I, we won't be together anymore. And, 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 they, and she didn't have children. One person said this, this is a needed reminder that a critical spirit will stifle fruitfulness. And that's not just wives, you guys. Sometimes it's husbands. It can be anybody, man. They're quenchers. When the Lord is moving, and you know what? All you want to do is find something 
to criticize. You want to know something? If you find something and if you look with your own creativity, <laughs> you'll probably find something. But man, catch the vision of what, what God is doing. You know, the overall lesson, obviously, is that they learned. David learned. And God is the God of the second chance. Um, but what a, what a hard way to learn. Okay, so that's the way life is. And I was telling my son this the other day. And I've told you guys a million times that there's different ways to learn. What's the best way to learn? No, the best way to learn is just read your Bible. Okay, the second best way to learn, I think, is probably through others' mistakes. Ooh, you saw what Tiger Woods did? Oh, now his wife's going to get back together. It's going to cost a billion dollars. You learn from their mistakes. The third way, I guess, is to learn from your own mistakes. That happens. And then some people, they never learn. They never learn, right? And so they learn from their mistakes. Praise God for that. God is the God of grace. But let me tell you something. People had to die. What did that do to Uzzah's family? I remember one time, and I'll close with this because I know we're going a little longer today, but here, I remember one time we got a, a phone call. Shelly and I got a phone call. We were at home. It was after one of the studies, and one of the sisters was not home. It was like 1230. It was late. And, uh, and, and they said, she never does this. She never does this. And so you know what I was thinking as I'm sitting there, call the police, you know, do that type of stuff. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, Lord, we lost her. That somewhere, when someone got out from here to there, that they got abducted in the parking lot. And so I thought, Lord, we lost her. I thank God, you know, we got a phone call a while later, and there was a pretty rational explanation. But from that point on, and you can ask the young adults and, and different people, you know, the ladies should be walked to their car, the guys should make sure they get to their car, and here's the reason, because I don't want to learn the hard way. I don't want to learn, you know, one day, and that's, that's how we have to, to live life. You guys, we don't want to learn the hard way. We have to follow the Lord. We have to do things, the right things, for the right reasons, yes. But we've got to make sure we do it in the right way. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word. And Lord, we want your presence. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.